0: Hey, guys, and welcome to the Movement Docs podcast. I'm Jake. And I'm Mike. And we're just two guys who want to help students and clinicians grow in the field of rehab.
1: Welcome to the show. Hey guys, and welcome to episode 22 of the Movement Docs podcast fe- featuring Dr. Carrie Grant Case. It's titled So You Want to Be an NCS. Carrie Grant Case is a physical therapist from Syracuse, New York, who has a passion for neuroscience and neurologic conditions. She currently works on the TBI unit at Moss Rehab in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and continues to gain expertise and perspective in treating this unique patient population. Carrie, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks for having me, guys. I'm very happy to be here.
1: Yeah. We're, we're excited to have events. it. <laughs> Should be a good show today. What are we talking about, Jake? Um well
0: it kind of depends. Carrie, what's your uh favorite like Netflix show and or like music? What are your musical tastes? Just so I know what kind of pop culture references to sprinkle in and maybe make like broader uh connections to.
2: Okay, so my favorite show in general is Gilmore Girls. My current binge situation is Criminal Minds, though.
0: Ooh. Okay, uh, I don't know how good I'm going to be at Gilmore Girls references. Uh, um, uh, Cri- Criminal Minds, right. I can, I can probably play with a little bit there. Um, what about, what about music-wise? What are your musical tastes?
2: Um They vary greatly. I'm a big. What are my musical taste these days? I'm a big
0: Third Eye Blind fan. Okay. I was just um, going to suggest that's perfect. We don't need anything else other than that. Um, we'll just, 90s alternative rock is safe. Okay. We'll just – 90s alternative rock, excellent. Uh, so, Mike, we'll be talking a lot about um, the NCS clinical specialty and, like, residencies and how you would apply, application tips, tricks. We'll kind of get to know a little bit more about Carrie, maybe explore uh, Third Eye Blind's um, complete album collection. Uh, perhaps talk about the blue album, which is fantastic, uh, and Ooh, much like this one. song, "Deep Inside of You." We're going to kind of go into the world of the um, NCS, um, which is not like NCIS, which is kind of a ripoff of Criminal Minds. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, I guess, Carrie, let's let's get started. So, for myself and all those other people out there, um, our listeners in the in the kind of like the interwebs the tubes of the internet that connects all of us together. Um, Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and kind of how you got started in this whole thing uh, in the crazy world of physical therapy?
2: Yeah, sure. So... um... I applied and got into teaching school in high school because I did the three plus three. So my story starts all the way back when I was like a sophomore, junior in high school. And I was working a lot with kids with disabilities um, because that's something that my mom is involved with. And I really was passionate about working with kids. Um, but didn't really want to be a teacher. And then as I took more bio and anatomy classes, I fell in love with science and biology. And I was like, oh, this is great, um, but I I don't really want to be a doctor. (laughs) Um, So I then got introduced to the profession of physical therapy and pediatric physical therapy. And I thought, this is perfect. I can go be a physical therapist, work with kids, kind of fulfill all of my niche. Um, so I got, um, that's how I got started and in interested in physical therapy.
0: Right Pretty on. Good. So yeah. you got started with the pediatric route. So like the, you just, yeah. the kids got, you, they sold you with the puppy dog eyes and all the cute like kid stuff.
2: Yeah. So actually initially I um, worked with a lot of different kids with, Uh, disabilities through the YMCA as like a one-to-one staff member, and I thought, you know, this would be a really meaningful profession to be a PT um, for for children with developmental and physical disabilities because I could really make lifelong changes in their life, um, and I thought it would be a really meaningful and fulfilling profession. Granted, down the road, I eventually fell in love with adult neuro, but that was my initial my initial in physical therapy.
1: Gotcha. So that's kind of like what got you started there. And you had mentioned that you had done a three plus three program. So can you explain a little bit about that and like where you ended up going for that?
2: Yeah, sure. So the three plus three, um, if you guys aren't familiar, it's when you do, you apply for both your undergrad and physical therapy, um, in high school and you get into grad school and high school Hmm. essentially. Um, and so a lot of not all, but some programs are affiliated with that. So, in my area, so I'm from Syracuse, New York. Um, there was a bunch of uh, schools. So SUNY Upstate Medical University is where I went, and they had mm-hmm. a variety of undergrads associated with that program. Um, but other, there were a lot of other schools in the the area that would just do six years straight. So, it would do like a three-year undergrad and three-year grad school straight, and you do a more combined version. Like a more condensed undergrad, essentially.
0: So it's like okay. uh, like okay. the Campbell Soup of, of grad school.
2: <laughs> I guess. <laughs> it's, condensed. it's condensed, yes. It's the more condensed version of undergrad. You have to take all your undergrad credits plus a lot of other credits all in one. So you didn't have a lot of choice. But it gets it done in less years, so it works out.
1: I got you. And so when you're kind of applying for this, this program, like, uh, you know, are the other are types of like interviewers, are they really looking for somebody that's like super committed because that's going to be like the next, you know, six years of your life or whatever, getting prepared for that kind of stuff. Like how was that interview yeah. process? Just kind of curious.
2: Um, I remember it being pretty intimidating and I was very young I think to this. Now looking back, I think it's a little insane, <laughs> but, um, I remember like, have, like certain, like doing just essays upon essays upon essays and having really high grade standards and lots of like variety of interview formats. So I'd remember it being an intense process, but it was a while ago for me getting into PT school. So Mm
0: -hmm. I don't
2: know. I don't remember all the the details.
0: So for prospective high school students that are like looking, that already know that they want to be a PT, do you have any tips like I know, I know you said it was a while back, but do you have any tips for prospective students that are looking at, like, a 3-plus-3 program that you did?
2: Sure. Um, I would say definitely get exposure. So mm-hmm. be, you know, shadow physical therapist. That's what I did. Um, you have to kind of network, and that's hard when you're in high school. So I was fortunate in that I had, you know, parents and other people who knew people in that feel that I could, you know, get my foot feet wet in shadowing different um, experiences. And I think what they would want is for you to get um, a variety of exposure. So you don't want to just be an outpatient ortho. You want to see outpatient ortho. You want to see acute care. You want to see as much as you can get your hands on in different aspects of the physical therapy domain to really Know that that's what you want to do. Really get exposure, mm-hmm. um, even as a high school student. And that's something I did, mm-hmm. and I would also recommend um, a keeping you know your grades up, of course, but taking a variety of science classes mm-hmm. or taking your anatomy, like taking those other electives. So to really trying to get your um, those other science courses under your belt and get more exposure, so that when you go into undergrad, grad, school gotcha. you'll be more prepared.
1: Gotcha. Okay. Makes a ton of sense. You have that kind of like background, at least a little bit of yeah. familiarity with it when you start to go into the grad school right. and like grads, that's cool. That makes sense.
2: And then you know, you want to do it, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like anatomy and physiology in high school, if you're going to like it in undergrad and in college in grad school.
0: Yeah. Cause you don't want to get halfway through that can of cream of mushroom soup and then realize you don't actually like it. Cause that would be exactly. disastrous both for your GI track and um, you know, for your future as a therapist.
2: <laughs> your life goals,
1: yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Okay. So, you had mentioned that um, you ended up ultimately going to SUNY Upstate. So, um, what was that experience like? You know, like what kind of experiences did you have there? Uh, anything that stood out in particular for you?
2: Yeah, so I um, really loved my experience at SUNY Upstate. Um, and some of the things that I think are the highlights was our class size. So I believe we had around 30, maybe 33 students in our class. So we really got to know all of them. And we were like one big family. Mm-hmm. And with that, you get to know each other, and you get to know your professors very well, and you get to grow together, mm-hmm. um, and you really have a great support system. So that's some that class size is something that I really benefited from. If I When I was an undergrad, um, our classes were bigger, and I didn't really have that same connection with my professors and my fellow students. Mm-hmm. So that's something I really benefited from um, with SUNY Upstate. And then um, other components of the program that I benefited from was that the fact that they really it was mandatory that our clinical experiences were very diverse. So we had to have out, or outpatient ortho, we had to have acute care, we had to have some type of rehab. So it wasn't like we could just do, you know, all of our clinical experiences in the same um, domain. So and I think that that really brought out interests that people may not have known that they had because they kind of were encouraged to do it
1: yeah no that's awesome and you just mentioned a couple of things that that really stood out and i liked you know you mentioned that the program at suny upstate was small and they had this like really big supportive family aspect and i think that's so important especially for something as rigorous as pt school you know just having people that can help like bring you up when you're feeling down
2: wow
1: which is awesome. And then also uh, just the, you know, like the mandatory exposure, like you kept, you mentioned this before too, with high schools and everything too, but um, just having exposures to different types and varieties of settings. Um, I think that's great because it gives you that ultimate like experience to try to figure out um, like ultimately what career path you want to go for.
2: Yeah. And I think that you don't have that. You may think in your head, oh, I want to do one thing. And then until you do the other thing, you don't, You know, you really don't know. Um, I found a lot of people who were like, I'm never going to do acute care. And then now they're acute care (laughs) therapists, right? So you don't know until you're in it and you try it all and then you can make that decision.
0: Yeah. That makes a ton of sense. I think think even if you – I guess this is kind of like me reflecting back on my school stuff, but – um, you know, I was always, because of the dual program, I was like, oh, sports, <clears throat> sports, 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 ortho, 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 ortho. And um, it's becoming more and more obvious to me as a young clinician that, like, you know, I'm, I'm getting patients on my caseload that are very much, like, neuro-based. And there's not, I need to kind of approach it from a different <laughs> yeah. mindset. And so I'm utilizing a lot of the stuff that we used in, or yeah. that I had learned about in school but that I hadn't really practiced much. Like I have a patient that has Yambre and was in the hospital for like two months and is just coming, you know, kind of gaining function back. And so, you know, <clears throat> my new grad brain of just like sports ortho, sports ortho is kind of like, Oh my God, what do I do now? <laughs> Cause this is so completely different than what I'm used to. <laughs> um, so you, you definitely need to have those experiences. And um, So I think that's awesome to be in a school that, that kind of forces you to go outside your comfort zone and do things that are different then what you think you want to do.
2: Yeah. And I think even to your point, um, I am a neurotherapist now, but my neurologic patients have now orthopedic conditions. So um, I think you need to know everything. Like I have to have joint mobs in my toolbox, right? Because my people are affected and they um, have tight ankles. So I think that we categorize things, but in reality, it's, you know, one is maybe stronger than the other one, but you still need to have those exactly. other skills.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You need to be well-rounded. Because
0: you, you want to treat the, yeah. the person Correct. and the, the human in front of you, not just, you know, whatever diagnostic right. code they have from ICD-10. And no one fits into like, exactly. in, in PT school, we, every everything is like this perfect diagnosis of like, oh, these are the the clinical symptoms that you find, this is the pattern that you'll recognize. And then you get in the clinic and it's just like, you just throw all that out the window because everything is completely different. And you learn that the classic PT school answer of it depends is, uh, comes out quite a bit because no one, no one fits into any like perfect textbook case. Everybody's completely different.
2: Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Mm-hmm.
0: But I will still try to square. Oh, oh, I was gonna say I still being a new grad PT try to put square pegs in round holes a lot of times because I'm just like, (laughs) oh, the textbook says this. This is what we're gonna do. And that doesn't that doesn't work (laughs) all the time. Doesn't always
2: work. Yeah, I think it's definitely a lot of taking taking the person as a whole in front of you, and I think the concept of pattern recognition and prioritization becomes like a bigger role, like I see that there's a, like 75 things wrong, but like, what is, what is the biggest problem? If I could fix one thing that like, what is the biggest thing that would change your life? Mm-hmm. You know, having that mentality of that top down kind of approach in prioritization, um, I think really is something that comes with time and is something that's really important to try to develop throughout your career.
1: Yeah. Okay. So you just mentioned two different things. You mentioned, uh, pattern recognition and prioritization and, and I guess three, technically a top-down approach. So can you kind of elaborate on those things?
2: Sure. So I think that, um, some of those things kind of go hand in hand and they're things that I've, um, learned to, to further develop and um, at through my residency program, yeah. uh, and really, trying to be a movement an expert. So I think it starts with, we are movement experts as physical therapists mm-hmm. um, and applying that to the neurologic population. i could I want to assess someone's movement and then hypothesize as a top down approach. Okay. Why are they moving the way that they're moving and using a more hypothesis oriented model to try to rule in and rule out um, what could be their possible deficits. And then, um, with that, you're really tying in that prioritization because you're saying, well, I think it's most likely this. I'm going to test that. Okay, well, it is – I rolled that in, but what else is it? And that can really help you prioritize your your tests and prioritize your interventions based off of whether or not you rolled in, rolled out your hypothesis. Okay. Um, so I think – yeah.
1: Yeah, okay. So you kind of like um... – you have a you have a patient in front of you, and you're basically seeing other move. You're moving, so you know you're looking at the forest versus like one tree in in, in a sense. And then from there, you're trying to like think about different um, or ways that you're going to like rule in and rule out different tests to kind of confirm or reject your hypothesis. Is that right? Correct. Okay. Cool. So. And the-
2: every patient, yeah, you know. I think that it's a, it's a wide spectrum. You know, I have low, very low-level patients and very high-level patients, and it's a different – it's a similar process, but it will look very different. Mm,
1: okay. And I think, I think what you're mentioning there, and correct me if I'm wrong, is it's about having, like, a thought process going in um, to your evaluation a little bit more um, rather than just kind of like, okay, I'm just going to check this range of motion. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to do this. You're kind of trying exactly. to tie it all together. Um,
2: exactly. Okay. That makes sense. And I even like to tie it together with – like neuroanatomically, so I see them. Okay, they're a maxisist. Why are they a maxisist? Okay, they've got some weakness, force production deficits. Well, why? Okay, they have a lesion on their left side of their brain. Mm-hmm. So you know, kind of connecting all the dots. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes the dots don't connect, and then you have to say, well, am I missing something? Do they have something going on that I don't know about? And that's when you can catch those things. Okay. So um, really trying to have. Like, like going into the situation, what you would expect and have having a good rationale for why you're seeing everything and, and really, you know, making hypotheses. Okay.
1: I love that. And I think, I think that probably separates um, somebody that's just like right out of the box versus somebody that's been Uh, has had experience with working with patients and like and have gone through a process like the residency that you've gone through Uh, you know you kind of like reflecting on each patient treatment and and thinking about the ways that you're thinking about things and approaching things um, to ultimately like be really efficient in the way that you help somebody so I think that's cool to kind of get that sneak peek into your brain and and how you go about your evaluation yeah
2: Yeah. and that's something that they really I think that the end goal of a residency program, one of the end goals is to develop that thought process. Mm, okay. you, know, you can learn information your whole life um, and it's going to change, but your thought process should be thorough. Okay.
1: That makes sense. I mean, because if you have the process, you can just kind of like plug and play different information that you have and that you learn go ahead. over time. But in yeah, the, go
2: ahead. I was going to say and like, literature changes what's current changes so that stuff you're going to constantly have to be on top of but you should at least have that thought process cool
1: awesome that makes a ton of sense metacognition all right metacognition yes thinking about the way you think about things shout out (laughs) to your heart team
2: play (laughs) off
1: that's what it yeah (laughs) One of our professors uh, is is big on that. He talks a lot about just like thinking about things and then like thinking about the way that you think about things to try to be efficient. So it's kind of cool to see and kind of hear it from different lenses and all that. And he just happens to be someone
0: who's very much involved in orthopedic residency. Um, So that whole residency mindset of challenging the way that you think and questioning about how you think about things, it just kind of, it definitely like melds in with all this.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I would assume that that is a common theme um, between all residencies, no matter the the different clinical specialty. Yeah.
1: And I wonder, I'm kind of curious, what your thoughts are too. Like, um, so you you've gone through like a residency for neuro, and you and you specialize in neuro. But do you think like the the skills and the, and the, the thought process and things that you've learned in your neuro residency could apply to like other like other I don't know subspecialties too? Like, if you were to work strictly in orthopedics, say for whatever reason, you could apply those same techniques and, and still be really successful with your patients there as well.
2: I think the thought process. Um, yes, in terms of the top down being very systematic that thought process definitely is something that I can carry between different specialties. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that a lot of the higher level or neurologic stuff mm-hmm. would be carry over, but not as much. And I still would need a lot more higher level ortho stuff to be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that some of those components of the content are what brings them, make them, makes them different, but the, the overall way you think about thinking um, is probably similar. Yeah. Cool. Yeah.
0: Cause there's, there's certainly a good bit of like specific content mastery for the area that you're in. And so obviously like if you're doing very specific, like um, ne- neuro testing, um, what's the like Asia levels and stuff like that, you wouldn't be, you probably wouldn't do like an Asia scan on somebody in an orthopedic setting that can walk and doesn't really have a lot of like, you know, neurological signs. Right.
2: right. And, and I think that, um, and that's some of the things that are, that are different, but there are some things that carry, like I still do special tests in my neurologic population, but I wouldn't do my JFK coma recovery scale in my uh, orthopedic population. That doesn't make sense. So I think that like a lot of those specialties, like you're saying, they don't carry over, but some of them, some of them do. Um, but I think that, yeah, the overall thought process,
1: for sure. Cool. Awesome. Well, let's um, let's kind of get into the meat and potatoes of this. And we've already gotten, like, our feet wet just a little bit. But uh, let's talk a little bit more about residencies. So in your opinion, like, what, what are they? Why would you do them? And, like, what are your thoughts about residency programs?
2: Sure. So I think that residencies are a way to become an expert in a certain specialty. like I think that's the gist of it so um you had I believe that you really have to be passionate about that topic to pursue a residency program um residencies the way that I think about it it's your last clinical um so you're in the clinic plus a full-time graduate school program at the same time so It's very intense in terms of I have a full caseload, I am being really challenged clinically, but then on the side, I'm working on presentations, I'm studying for tests. Um, I have all those other, what they call that, like the more didactic component. So that's your lectures that you're taking um, and that, that other component of learning that's outside of the clinic. Um, So you have that didactic component, and then you have the clinical component. Um, And I think that the residency program is a way to be an expert. So um, one of the other things is that it also facilitates your professional development. So it makes you comfortable with being involved in your profession at an APTA level. So doing research and going to CSM and really being a voice for your patients and for your specialty and it gets you comfortable in doing that and gets you to know what those that language is to be an expert so um i think that that you know in general is what residencies are it's really your a way to be an expert one way i think you can be an expert without doing a residency as well
1: i got you that's kind of cool so it's like a it's like a full immersion you know you're just like diving into the deep end uh, you're taking classes. You're, do, you're working a full caseload, like you just mentioned. Uh, and so, like for our listeners out there, and I think this is kind of cool too. Uh, you know, you had just mentioned like it's a way to get involved with like APTA and like that side of things as well. Uh, you had mentioned CSM. Uh, you know, so for those of our uh, listeners that aren't really familiar with CSM, what is it? And did you go this year? And if so, what were your experiences? That well, was like twelve questions at once. So <laughs> sorry
2: about that. <laughs> what time is that? Um- <laughs> Um, so CSN is the combined sections meeting. So that's the APTA puts on a national conference every year, um, which is humongous. So this year I did go, it was in New Orleans. There was 17,000 people there and which was huge and great and lots of learning and lots of fun. Um, and there's courses and lectures on all of the different specialties that the APTA provides. So you can go to neuro classes, you can go to sports classes, ortho, acute care, et cetera. Um, and when I was a resident, I did a case presentation and that I submitted as a poster and it got accepted. So I did present a poster this year at CSM. Nice. Um, and that's something that the, my residency encouraged me to do and help facilitate that to really, you know, get me into research, get me comfortable doing a presentation. So, you know, that's one way that residency was kind of a, a tool to get me there. Um, so some CSM in general is something that I would definitely recommend that your listeners go to. I've gone when I was a student and now as a clinician, and it's always a learning experience. It's a great place to network, to see those bigwigs that write all the research articles that you're reading. Um, it's a very exciting event. Cool.
1: That's awesome. Uh, how was your How was your poster presentation? And, and kind of like, what what did you present on? Just out of curiosity.
2: Sure. So I presented. Um, I had a patient, an outpatient with a chronic acquired brain injury, um, who had some gait deviations and used to love hiking, but she hasn't gotten to hiking. So I was recently reading a, lots of articles um, from George Hornby, which is he has these view, this um, article came out called the Views article, which is very vari- variable and in- intensive stepping for the stroke population. So essentially, he's saying we got to be intense, we got to have variability in our stepping for our people with stroke brain injury. So I applied those um, principles and that framework to this patient um, and found improvements and used that yeah, as my poster. Oh, awesome.
1: That's It's evidence-based practice right there. <laughs> <laughs>
2: It's knowledge and translation that is the the current buzz
1: word. Knowledge and translation.
2: Knowledge and translation. Yes, oh, look I love it up.
1: That. It sounds it's more it. like poetry in motion.
2: Poetry. That too, maybe.
1: That's so cool. Well, that's that's awesome if that you're able to take uh, you know the information that's out there and kind of like apply it to your patient and get successful uh, results. It's just like as physical therapists, you know, an aspiring physical therapist, we love to see that. So, rock on.
2: Yeah. And I think that that's something that we should all kind of challenge ourselves to say, hey, I read this article. Is this information applicable to my patient? Can I try it in my patient? Is it appropriate? And and try it. And I think that so often we read literature, but we don't always connect that to our treatment and our patients. Um, like, I think there is a disconnect. And I think that in general, we should be trying to really apply that literature to our our caseloads and our patients and really be thinking about what is best practice for these patients.
1: Why why do you think uh, that is, like, uh, that there is that such, like, a disconnect and, like, do you think it's just because, like, people are getting super busy or or what are your thoughts? Like, just kind of curious.
2: I think that it's multifactorial. So I think one factor, I mean, could be people are busy, the culture of, their work environment mes- doesn't necessarily promote that or it or it does but it's still it's still hard to connect mm. those dots you know oftentimes people might read the literature and search the literature but you know sometimes it's still hard to connect the dots to really force yourself to bring that into your practice um and it could be because you need equipment that you don't have or because you're not as confident in it or because of uh, um, time constraints. I mean, I think there's a, lot, a variety of barriers, but I don't think any one of those barriers just is anything that, you know, I think we can get past those barriers and we should get past them. But yeah, there are
1: barriers. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense.
0: I think sometimes you just have to do what Shia LaBeouf told us to do, <laughs> and just do it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Wasn't that lucky?
1: No, uh, Nike for sure. And then there was a video with well, yeah. with Shara. Oh my God, we're gonna have to put that in the description for, for sure. <laughs> Just do it. <laughs> Are we gonna have to like at some point do
0: some sort of green screen thing behind him or something? Oh, yes. I don't know. We can talk about this later. <laughs> we'll definitely have to do that. But I mean, and I mean, I, I definitely can identify with those those reasons that you listed, like being honestly like i i thought the transition from like grad student or pt student to clinician was going to be a, a lot easier than it was and these first couple months have just been crazy like getting used to you yeah. know <coughs> excuse me doing documentation and like calling doctors on the phone and like managing your patients and like <coughs> all that stuff there's like all these little things that you may not have had a lot of experience doing as a student and I think in the little student bubble, you're just like, oh yeah, notes are easy. This isn't that bad. And then you're just like, oh my yeah. god, I have to do 15 right now. <laughs> and
2: yeah, it's,
0: it, it's it's challenging.
2: And that's where, yeah. And that's where like there's the you know quality, <laughs> respondity, and it's hard. Um, it's hard managing all of that when you're a new grad. And I think when I was a new grad. In the culture that I was in, I was really striving to use the literature and be like, I just went to school forever for this. Like I know my stuff. I really want to be the the best therapist. And if you're not around people with that mentality, it's even harder. Um, So I think that, you know, one of the best things is no matter what your culture is, be the, be the therapist that you want to be. If you want to be the therapist, that's doing liter, you know, reading literature on your own time and applying that to your patients, you know, Mm -hmm. be that therapist.
1: Um, there's no that's, one very,
0: that's very Gandhi of you. Be the therapist that you want to see in the world.
2: <laughs> exactly. Oh, just we should. That would be best. awesome.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so many good yeah. ideas. <laughs> what, like, what do we, what do we do like Gandhi with like a theraband?
2: I think so. I think you should put Shia LaBeouf with a "Just Do It" on the back.
0: <laughs> Encouraging him as he's like walking with a walker or something. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my goodness
0: <laughs> Mike we could do you know how they have the there's like the Che Guevara t-shirt and then there's like the Che Guevara wearing yeah. a Che Guevara yes. t-shirt t-shirt we could like do like t-shirt inception on like if we made like uh-huh. a movement Docs t-shirt where Gandhi's wearing oh a movement Docs t-shirt
1: you are onto something <laughs>
0: And Shia LaBeouf's behind him wearing a Movement Docs
1: t-shirt. It's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> t-shirt inception. Oh, I love it. Like
2: the modern family
0: yes. picture frames. Yep. Yep. I I there we go. Cultural references. Love it. Um, speaking of cultural references, we I know we're kind of on the topic of residencies, And so far you've been, like, you know, very positive. And it feels like everyone, just the general thought process is that, like, residencies are awesome. But, Carrie, what would you say to someone who, much like the Third Eye Blind song, thinks that the residency process would just be losing (laughs) a whole year? How would you sway them to maybe think about it differently and perhaps pursue one?
2: So I would say... When I did a residency in one year, I gained at least three mm-hmm. to five years of experience, hands down. Um, I think the only thing, the things that you're sacrificing by being a residency is some components of your personal life, to be honest. Um, you, you go to clinic, you come home, you do research, you go to clinic, you come home, you do an activity, you go to, re- like, you, you're, I dedicated my life to the residency. Um, Was I able to like go out to dinner on Saturdays? Sure. But in general, that's where I spent my time. Um, And there is also a financial commitment to residencies. So um, some of them, you get paid 50% of the salary. Some of them you get paid like 100%, but then there's a tuition and they're all different. But I think in general, there's usually some you know, you're not going to be getting paid as much as you would be as a full-time clinician. So that's something to consider. Um, And every residency is different, so you have to, you know, really ask and look into it. So I think in terms of, you know, like the downfalls of being in a residency would be, you know, financial and one year you are a little, you're more dedicated to the residency versus your personal life. But... Um, those are the only downfalls I can say because the rest of it, I was, I'm a completely a seller for residencies. I love it. Um, I think that it's was the best use of my time. I would not trade okay. that for anything. I
1: got you. So it's a, now, no. did you do one? No, no, no. Oh, go ahead, Mike. I was going to just make a really lame reference about an instant pot, so we're good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, no, please, please make. That. Okay, okay so. fine.
1: Well, I was going to say, so like, um going through the residency program was like going through you know, like using an instant pot instead of like baking it in the oven. See, it, it kind of lost its effect, but that's okay. <laughs> it's like, go on. no, no. I, yeah. I mean,
0: I know what you're yeah. saying.
1: That's all that matters. You're good. I still love, I it. love you too. Um,
0: <laughs> <laughs> so Carrie, just, just curious though, did you, did you go into the residency straight out of PT school or did you take some time off before you went in?
2: I worked okay. for a year. Um, which I would actually recommend because then you actually then you can figure out who you are as a clinician and what you really love and how to just work and be a licensed PT. And I think because when you go back to, when you go to do a residency, it's different. Um, you have much more guidance, you have more mentoring, you have more expectations. So I would recommend kind of getting your feet wet and working first, figuring out exactly what you love and then if you want to do a residency you know have a year or so under your belt and then go for go for the residency
0: that makes that makes sense i've i've heard that from a lot of um <laughs> some of my mentors too that they've seen students go straight into a residency and their thought is that the whole much like we talked about the whole point of a residency is to change how you think and how you think about practicing but if you don't even know who you are as a clinician yet what are you really challenging and changing? You're just basically learning another style of treatment instead of growing and challenging your own.
2: Right. Yeah. And you also have the basics down, like the things you were talking to me about, like having all these notes to write and having to, you know, formally communicate with doctors and other people and, um, all the logistics of being a clinician in the, the efficiency component you have all those basics down. Mm-hmm. Now you want to be better. Mm-hmm. Now I want to be an expert. I don't want to just be a clinician. So I would recommend you know having at least a year under yeah, your belt.
1: I think solid it advice. also
0: reminded me of something that I used to do at uh, like youth group functions as a as a wee teenage lad, <laughs> and that was whenever you had to put make you know, you know you like go to go somewhere with like a function, and there's all the name tags and a sharpie, and you like write your name on it. Um, I would write yes. my name on the name tag and put it upside down on my, on my chest. <laughs> and it served multiple purposes. Okay. One, it was a conversation starter. And so people would be like, why is your name tag upside down? But two, it was so I always knew who I was. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes. Cause you would need that reminder.
0: Because if just like we were talking about, if you don't know who you are as a clinician, how can you challenge and how can you change and how can you grow? you always got to remember who you are first. Remember who you are. Who you want to (laughs) be. Yeah, be the therapist that you want to see in the world. Exactly. It's like the Michael Scott quote, like, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott. (laughs) But it's like, be the therapist that you want to see in the world, Gandhi, Cary Grant Chase.
2: <laughs> yeah, put that on the shirt.
0: We will. And then Gandhi will also have that on the shirt that he's wearing, too.
2: Yeah. And then Shia will be on the shirt. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. But we won't be – so we'll have to, like – we'll have to be careful about the just-do-it stuff because we might get in, like, a legal dispute with Nike. And I don't think Phil Knight would mm-hmm. like that. Um so we'll have to like, I think, I think people would just recognize like the, the clip of him just yelling emphatically, mm-hmm. but
1: yeah, I don't know. <laughs> That's perfect. All right. So, um, uh, we've talked a lot about residencies so far, uh, and we know that specifically you completed a neuro residency. So can you tell us a little bit about your experience there? Like, where did you go? Um, and did you look at multiple ones that you were applying to before you ultimately decided where you went?
2: Yeah, so I um, went to the neuroresidency at Moss Rehab, which is where I currently work in Philadelphia, Um, but I did look at multiple residencies. So when I was searching for residencies, um, my... Main interest. So even with neuro, I'm in love with neuro. Um, so within the neuro residency fields, each residency program was organized a little differently. Um, and what I mean by that is some were more weighted in acute care, some were more weighted in outpatient, some were more weighted in rehab. Um, so I, my pers- personal past passion is for inpatient rehab. So I wanted a program that aligned with that. Um, and some had. More heavily weighted towards acute care and outpatient, and, like pretty much didn't have an inpatient rehab component. Or some were less split a third each. Um, right now, from my understanding, is you need to have all per the um, APTA residency programs need to have exposure in all three for a certain percent. But it doesn't say like it's not a third. You know, you need to have at least a couple weeks of of each field. So Moss Resident Moss Rehab, where I ended up going, uh, was more heavily weighted to inpatient rehab and outpatient, which is aligned with my goals and had a okay. smaller component in acute care, uh, which is what I wanted. Um, they also, when I toured there, I just got some like great vibes in terms of their communication style and their mentorship, which is something that I really loved. Um, they have there so all residency programs for those who don't know, um, they have a rec- the ABTA makes you have a certain amount of mentorship. So that's I I have a full caseload, but um two hours of my week, my mentors are with me and my patients. We do a session together. And we also have structured time to talk nice. for at least two hours a week. Um so th- there that's like a minimum. Um, at Moss that obviously happens within the culture that we have is that people we're around a lot and we have a lot of other great therapists. So you don't just get the the structured mentorship. You get so much more than that. Um, because your mentors are, you know, in the gym treating with you. If you have a question, they can just, you know, you can just ask the question. Um, be, so they're very available, which is something I knew going into it. And it was very true when I was there so that I really had, um, a lot of in-person mentorship and a lot of ideas bouncing around and a lot of guidance um, in the moment in a very structured way and a more fluid way.
1: Awesome. So um, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Cause you had talked about earlier about, um, you know, your experiences and like surrounding yourself with people that are like engaged and really want to like be the best therapist that they could be as well. So it seems like you found a, a residency program that kind of fit those goals as well. Um, and you're kind of able to like flourish in that environment.
2: Cool. Yes, I would definitely say so.
1: Okay, and I, I didn't know about um, about like the different structures for residency programs. So, um, I guess I guess that was maybe naive of me to think, but like um, I kind of just had at the assumption that most residency programs were structured the same way. So that's really interesting that you bring up. Like, there's different settings. You know, like you have to get these three main components, whether that be acute care, inpatient rehab, and so on and so forth. But the percentage of which can be divided um, differently. So I thought that was that's pretty interesting.
2: Yep, um, and another thing that is that I found to be different when I was looking at residencies, and this is more tailored towards neuro. Um, so with the neuro residencies out in California, they have what's called the consortium. So a lot of residencies participate in this consortium, which is two weekends lie like in person in California for like weekend courses, and then there is a series of. Um, evening courses, webinars that take place. So a lot of residencies in California on the West Coast use the consortium and then some on the East Coast also use the consortium. And that is how they fulfill like their didactic component. And didactic is like the lecture knowledge component. Um, so for me, I'm in the East Coast. I'm in Philly. Um, and I... Knew the consortiums existed, and a lot of our programs here use them, but they would be at 10 p.m. our time, like 10 to 12, um, and that wasn't something that I found ideal. At Moss Rehab, where I went, all of their they had their own lecture series that was all live in person. Um, so we had lectures twice a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays, uh, five to eight. We had like live lectures from local experts. So that was something that really strove – me to Moss Rehab's program because all the, uh, the lectures were live in person. You can have a conversation. It wasn't mm-hmm. this online thing. Um, though I do, you know, mm-hmm. heard good things about the oh, consortium awesome. as well. Yeah. I think it's just a Question.
0: That, oh, go ahead. Oh, go, go ahead. Finish, finish what you are going to
2: say. I think that you just need to... if you're If you're interested in doing a residency in any field, you have to learn, like, what the different components are in terms of clinical and in um, the didactic component and how that residency fulfills that um, that requirement. Hmm. And those, hmm. those would be good questions to ask.
0: So kind of along the same lines of like, I mean, now that we've kind of talked about like each of the neuro residencies may have a little bit different balance in the different aspects of like the setting, I guess, or like the type of care that you would do within that neuro, like I guess subdivisions of that larger neuro category. Um, I know in a lot of the orthopedic residencies, they often fall within like a certain style, like a Maitland style like of evaluation or perhaps like a McKenzie style evaluation and treatment methods within the neuro community. Do you have the same thing? Is it like, is there one that's like very much like rude principles uh, or like a different type of like, you know, I'm trying to think of other styles of neuro that we learned about in neuro one, but I don't remember. So I'm just going to defer to you.
2: Yeah. Um, I see what you're saying. Um, I, I so I'm, the general answer to that question is probably no. Um, okay. more so in terms of like the area, like I was saying, like acute care versus inpatient rehab versus outpatient and the population. So it's spinal cord versus TBI. I think that's more how it's organized. And then in terms of the different you know, when you think about your traditional neuro class, you have your, like, theories. You know, when you said rude, it made me think of, like, theories of motor control and yeah. motor learning. Um, and a lot of that is, like, that's one subset that kind of a, you can apply it to all populations, you know, motor learning. And that we now know we have, like, more of, like, that dy- dynamic systems theory and a lot more, like, evidence for neuroplasticity. So that's more... Or the evidence is right now, but I think that some, those motor learning principles and that, that history can be um, used in all of those populations. But it's more organized by yeah. diagnosis and setting.
1: That makes sense. Okay. Okay. So we just we've kind of like talked a little bit about like your experiences with your, your neuroresidency and like how you ultimately decided where you wanted to go. Um, you know, like who would benefit most from completing a neuroresidency? Like who should be looking out for that kind of stuff?
2: I think, like, personally, someone who is in love with a specialty. I am in love with neuro, (laughs) like, openly in love with neuro. Will buy books on my own time and read books about neuroplasticity. I am the type of person who just has my own little collection of books about people who have had strokes and Hmm. brain injury. And, like, this is my passion. Is it Facebook Um, official? Is it Facebook official? Um, I don't even know. That's not an option. Oh, okay. I'd have to, like, vote my boyfriend in that situation. I'm not sure he'd like that. Sorry, Um. So, no, it's Brad and then Nero. Okay. <laughs> For what it's worth. But I think it's something you have to love. Because if you're doing a residency, you're devoting a lot of your time and a lot of your money and a lot of your, your mental energy Towards a topic. Um, and if you don't love it. Then you might be. Get you know more fatigued. And you might. Be, like the risk. Versus reward. You know I love it. So it doesn't matter how late I'm at work. It doesn't matter if I spend my whole weekend doing this. It doesn't matter. Because this is my passion. Um, and I think if it's not something. That you're in love with. then Then maybe. Maybe you're going to not benefit. As much mm-hmm. from it. You get out what you put in.
0: No, it's, it's... it's like eating ice cream versus vegetables. <laughs> like you know, Because sometimes people just really don't like to eat their vegetables. And it's like a chore. You know, you just really don't want to eat that last piece of broccoli. And you just kind of choke it down because you know that it's healthy for you. But then, you know, on a Saturday night, you're watching some Netflix, perhaps Gilmore Girls. Uh, I know you're a fan, Carrie. Um and, you know, you just sit yeah. down with a pint of ice cream, and it's not a chore to eat the whole pint of ice cream because it tastes good, and you love it. And you also love Gilmore Girls, and there's some – perhaps some endorphins firing um, in your brain, some other <laughs> neurotransmitters. I'm not really – I don't have an NCS, so I couldn't really speak to those very well. Um, but <laughs>
1: – <Don't laughs> yeah. <mean,
0: fair> <laughs> I mean, that's kind of how I would – I don't know if that's a good analogy, yeah. but, I mean, that's kind of how I see it. Um, <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. And I think that's exactly right. Like all the things that you have to do from a neuroresidency could be viewed as a chore, could be viewed as extra work, um, if you're not in love with it. But if you love it, then you then you want to do it, and then it doesn't matter, you know. And I think that's the same for everything. And I and I think if you really want to be an expert in any field of PT, you should love it because you're gonna to be an expert. You're gonna have to devote your your time and your your energy and your passion towards something. So you really, yeah, yeah. you know, should do what you love.
1: I totally, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so you, for our yeah. listeners out there that are interested in applying for no residency programs, would you say like one of the big pieces of advice you'd give for them would be to be passionate about it and like be willing to make that commitment towards that.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the biggest thing. Um, and then I think other things would be someone who's willing to to make that time commitment. Um, You know, these are kind of, like, top-down love is number one because you have to be able to financially afford it and make the time commitment and be able to have the stamina to do the program Um, and, you know, like, have endless amounts of interest in the topic, like – so that's what I tell all the people who I talk to who are applying to programs. You know, if, if this is what you love, this is right. But if you're not 100% sure that you love it, then, you know, think about it a little longer because you're going to need to love it to get through uh, the hard
1: time. Speaking of which, like uh, in regards to your residency and everything that you went through, can you take us through like a typical day in the life, uh, like what you could expect or like what the expectations might be for somebody that's in a neuroresidency? residency?
2: Sure. So, I'm a little um, biased. I only did one residency, so I can only speak uh, to N my one, one
0: neuroresidency. Small um, sample size.
2: And, yeah, and of one year. It's not statistically significant, but that's all I have for you. Um, so, my caseload was, so technically I had 80% of a full-time caseload. So, I essentially treated one hour less a day than my other therapist. Um, so, but I still got to work, so I would get to work around eight, um, in the eight to nine o'clock hour, I would not treat. That would be either time to do odds and ends in terms of paperwork or, um, other things I needed to catch up on or meeting. So two days a week, I would meet with uh, my mentors because, so for how my residency program worked, I guess I'm going to back it up a little bit. From How my residency program worked is that it was split into three different rotations, So one was our spinal cord and stroke rotation, and so I had a spinal cord injury mentor and a stroke mentor. Um, The other one was an inpatient and outpatient brain injury, so I had an inpatient uh, mentor and an outpatient mentor. And then the final rotation was just outpatient, and it was outpatient neuro and outpatient vestibular, so I had a mentor for each. Um, so that made a total of six mentors throughout my entire residency program. And those mentors are experts in the field. Um, some of them have their NCS, most of them have their NCS, but they don't, they don't all have it. Um, but they, you know, have been working for in that area for a number of years and they're experts. Um, so in a difficult week, um, two mornings of the week, I would have a structured meeting time and then I would um, treat patients in my caseload was split. Like each service I said, it was split between those two diagnoses. Um, so my day was split. So like when I was on, um, brain injury, I would do like inpatient for two hours and then outpatient yeah. for two hours and then inpatient again for another hour. Mm-hmm. Um, does that make sense? So kind of, that's how my day was split. And then um, at the end of the day, two days a week, we had lectures, so in-person lectures, 5 to 8 o'clock at night. And then throughout the day, I would have mentored sessions, um, one mentored session uh, with each mentor. So that's two a week. Like, So me and the mentor and the patient are doing a treatment session. And with those mentored sessions beforehand, um, I would fill out a sheet with um Kind of what the person's current status is what their HP is um, goals okay. and then my clinical question and my hypothesis um, so that would be really the driving force for the mentored session you know I have a question and I have a hypothesis and we're gonna essentially okay. test that hypothesis during my mentored session um, yeah. So that was kind of a lot, but that was the general gist of a week.
1: Oh, that's awesome. So that's, that's cool. I appreciate you like sharing that like day in the life. Um, kind of curious about like your mentored sessions. So like you mentioned filling out um, like a sheet to kind of like get your thought process and everything going um, from there and like creating a clinical question and all of that. And, um, Going through, like, your residency program from, like, when you started to to when you end, was, like, was there, like, a, an aha moment where things just, like, started to click and you'd get to that, like, piece of paper and you'd just be able to, like, write down everything really fast and be like, yeah, I got this. This is what I'm doing. This is this, this and this. And, like, to be able to talk about it. I'm just kind of curious, like, what that progression was like and if you noticed, like, a moment when things just, like, the stars aligned and everything started clicking.
2: I don't know if there was a moment, but there were definitely. So in the beginning, I would come home and be like, all right. I have this mentor sheet to fill out. And then, you know, three hours later I'd fill it out. Right. Because you're like overthinking everything. And it's, you know, I think in the beginning of the residency, I was like, well, I have all these resources and I have all, like, I have to think about everything. And, you know, you, your concept of prioritization isn't really there yet. So you're, (laughs) um, really overthinking. And then you're like, at the end of the day, you're like, well, I don't know. I just wrote down this thing and I just overthought it. And, you know, all this, and then by the end, that process definitely becomes much more efficient and much more prioritized and much more appropriate. Okay. <laughs> but in the beginning, it's a little all over the place okay. and a lot more. <laughs> so I definitely saw a process with those mentor sheets and in my thought process in general.
1: Yes. Okay. That's cool. I was just kind of curious, like, um, just to see, like, your reflection on, like, how you progressed and, like, the, how the efficiency changed. So that's kind of neat to see. Yeah.
2: Know, and I think um, you just mentioned the word reflection. So I think that that's like a huge component of, of residencies, is being able to reflect um, on yourself um, in the moment when you're doing things and after the fact. And I think that's that's something huge, um, like a huge attribute to have as a resident and as a clinician, um, that reflection.
1: Did you find that that takes time to develop as well? Like You just mentioned like uh, being able to reflect in the moment And I think that's probably, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's probably like a huge component of being really efficient in your evaluation process is being in like in real time, being able to evaluate yourself and how things are going um, to like further guide the treatment based on what you're finding.
2: Absolutely. And that's where they use the reflection in action. So like in the moment versus reflection on action. And I think in the beginning you do the reflection on action. You're like, I did this and now I'm going to like think about it versus I'm in the moment, I tested something, I'm thinking about it right now, now I know what I'm going to do next, kind of this more, this thought process that's ongoing in the moment. And that definitely is something that evolved for me throughout my residency program. Gotcha.
1: Very cool. It makes me think of, uh, like, the movie Limitless, almost. It just seems like after you've gone through this process, like, you're, you're thinking about your whole process and, like, you're kind of, like, evaluating things as you're going and you're, like, able to get to these, like, uh, conclusions a little bit faster maybe or a little bit more efficiently. So it's just kind of mm neat.
2: Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Very cool. Okay. Um, So, you know, after you completed your residency, um, were you eligible to kind of, like, sit for the NCS exam? And and what was that like?
2: I was absolutely eligible. Um, I believe... That when you um, apply to sit for any board certification exam, you either need a certain number of years, like working with that patient population, or completing a residency. And there might be another option, but I don't know for sure. Um, So me completing the residency essentially um, was like fulfilled that criteria, Um, and then I studied for. So I did the residency, and it ended in July of 2017, and then I studied for about six months. So starting in like September, October, and then recently took the NCS um, a few weeks ago in March. Nice. Okay.
1: So that kind of like gets you the everything that you you need to be able to be yes. to sit for it. Uh, that makes sense. And then hopefully, uh, when when do you find out the results and all that kind of stuff? In June?
2: Yeah, it's gonna be. It's painful three months.
1: Oh, I'm so sorry.
2: <laughs> People are asking me, and I'm like, don't don't do this to me. <laughs> I have three more months of this. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, it's like it's bad enough. I know I have to wait. Don't make me.
2: Don't make remind money.
1: Yeah, yeah. You passed an hour. Well, I'm sure. I'm sure you did great. I'm sure you passed with flying colors. But
2: I don't know. I hope so. Mm-hmm. All I can say is that it is hard. <laughs>
1: The exam was hard, did
2: you say? Yes. Very challenging. but.
1: How, how long was the exam, just out of curiosity?
2: Yeah, so each, at least for the neuro, um, it's 200 questions. So it's 50 questions per section, and they give you, like, a break. They allow you up to seven hours to take it. Oof. They, so they allow you um, an hour and a half per 50 questions.
1: Gotcha. Okay, so that could be that could be a long day. <laughs> it's pretty much exactly. a whole day.
2: Yeah, and you will <laughs> not have to like if you do it in less. If you do the fifty questions in say forty minutes or whatever, then you're you're not there as long. What was the answer to number um, three? But they, they allocate you that much time. Okay,
0: I got you. All right, <laughs> I put C, but I don't know if that's right. A,
2: I'm not allowed to tell you, and B, I have no idea. <laughs>
0: I can eliminate A, but (laughs) the other ones I wasn't really sure about. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I feel (laughs) ya.
1: Okay. Well, very cool. So it seems like uh, this, this whole like residency process in general was like a a really awesome experience for you. One, like you had mentioned before, you had gained like three to five years of clinical experience in that one year timeframe. But it is like a a huge time commitment and you need to be very passionate about um, what you're doing before you ultimately decide to apply for these things. Um, So like, um, you know, we know, we know that you're, you're playing the waiting game right now, but like, how do you think like, like earning the NCS or like going through the residency process in general, like will help you kind of like grow your practice or like what kind of doors do you think it opened for you?
2: Yeah. So I think that, um, it's dimensional So I think for one door for me was it got me into inpatient rehab. So, um, I didn't mention this earlier, but when I initially was looking for jobs, I wanted to get into inpatient rehab, but, it's really hard to get into inpatient rehab. There's just not always jobs available. If there are jobs, they maybe want three to five years of experience. Hmm. So as a new grad, it was a hard hard to get into there. Um, so I ended up working at Subacute Rehab for a little while first. So it a, got me into inpatient rehab. It got me into Moss Rehab specifically. And now I um, am blessed with the opportunity to be working on the brain injury unit at Moss Rehab, which is um, my favorite. So I think those are a lot of doors in terms of like jobs and careers. Um, but I think in other realms in terms of doors in, I think it's kind of the greater APTA. So now I've done a poster. I've, um, I now know people who are more involved with the APTA. I feel more comfortable, um, getting myself involved and being, a spokesperson for, for neuro and for PT and really advocating for my patients. And I think that that's like a higher level of professional development and involvement that I wouldn't have gotten otherwise. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's another door. And then I think the third door is mentorship and teaching. So now I'm in a role right now where I mentor rotators and I, um, You know, I'm going to be a CI, and I'm going to eventually be a mentor in the residency program. So it sets you up to be a successful teacher. And um, as part of my residency program, we had to give a lecture and have a part-time student. So they really try to set you up for developing those leadership and teaching and mentoring skills to really further pursue um, and further help the profession and and share knowledge. So I think like. If I think about doors, I think of you know my personal career path, um, my involvement in the Greater APTA, and then my ability to to teach and be a mentor. Oh, that's awesome.
1: I love that too. Like I love, I love that one. Like you're able to go through this uh, this whole experience and kind of like. Gain all this knowledge and, and, like, gain, like, these abilities to help your patients uh, in, like, an efficient way. But you're also able to give back to, like, the future and aspiring, like, students and student physical therapists and all that stuff to kind of, like, continue to facilitate and, like, help that profession grow. So I think that's that's really, really awesome.
2: Yeah. And it is so it's interesting <laughs> to reflect on myself when I now work with other therapists to say, oh, wow, I think about things differently now than I would. And you see it more in other people when they are not thinking about those things. And you're like, well, why haven't you done this? And you're like, oh, okay. I have to meet where you where you are. And, you know, now I'm in this different boat. And it's, it's very um, interesting to kind of reflect on myself and my growth um, and then trying to figure out where other people are in their process and then meet yeah. them where they are. And it's, it's
1: let's, let's talk about that, that reflection on your growth too, just a little bit. So like, you know, like has your treatment philosophy changed a lot since like when you started the program to the end and like, just like growth in general, like what have you learned about yourself throughout this process?
2: I believe my treatment philosophy has absolutely changed. Um, I mean, I think always I was really caring and really wanting to do the best, but I think in terms of, um, You know, in the biggest realms would be, like, my ability to assess movement and use that top-down thinking approach that we Mm -hmm. talked about earlier uh, to be able to really make hypotheses, test them, prioritize them, be efficient, and also Mm -hmm. be confident. And You know, I think in the beginning it was, well, I think that this is the best, but I'm not sure, and you're kind of, like, always in this spot where you're Mm -hmm. second-guessing yourself – and I think that you should always be challenging yourself. But after going through this process, you can be, all right, I'm really confident with A, B, and C. I'm not as confident with D, but I'm going to look into it and work on it. And you're really able to kind of organize your thoughts okay. better that way. You know, I've really read the literature and I know that this is solid, but I'm not so sure about this. So you you, know, you have a much more solid grasp on on what you know, what you don't know, and, and where you're going to go.
1: Awesome. Very very cool. Okay, so you know you mentioned you have a, a lot of different responsibilities that you're that you're uh, taking on right now, um, being a future CI and doing all that stuff. And I'm just kind of curious, like, what are your future plans? Like, what are your goals, kind of moving forward?
2: Um. So in terms of job wise, I. Um, <laughs> I think, my currently, I think I have my current dream job. I um, I work on the brain injury unit at Moss Rehab, and I'm completely in love with it. So I'm very happy where I am right now. Um, I'd like to be more involved with, um, like I said, mentoring and being a component of our residency. And I think that that is really where I'm going to mm-hmm. go in the future. Um, in terms of my, I think my mentorship and my teaching skills is, is where I'm really putting my eggs right now. Um, so that's, that's where I'm kind awesome.
1: I love it. This is great. <laughs> this is, I'm just like, I'm just like, you can't see it, but I'm like over here, just like with the biggest smile on my face right now. i got like all these warm fuzzies. So it's just kind of cool. <laughs>
2: oh, yeah. I'm good. I think that when you find what you love, it's, um, it's really fun. <laughs> it, you know, it's like, I could, I could be at work for 10 hours and I still love it. And I still like, Oh, I have these things I want to do. And I, you, I'm just excited to go to work. And I'm excited to help, people. you know? Yeah. Things are stressful and things are, yeah, I have all these notes to write, but I'm writing these notes to get my patients covered, you know, and, and to justify their care. So I don't mind writing them. You you. You have a different mentality, yeah.
1: When you and then, love the shows, you know, just like um, from the questions that we've asked and the, you know the experiences that you've shared, you know, you can really tell that you're you're passionate about this and passionate about your, you know helping your patients and um, you know. So we really appreciate you just taking the time to to come on and just like talk about this and, and use this as a platform for anybody else that's out there that's interested in pursuing neuro uh, or residencies in general. So we thank you for that. So,
0: so Carrie, would you say that you're living? Finally, this semi-charmed kind of life.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm working on it. That's for sure. Um, you know, it's it's very interesting going to school for a long time and then doing a then working and then doing a residency program because I'm in this boat right now where I used to have a million things that I had to do in my free time. And now I, I don't as much. So I get to choose which articles I want to listen, watch or read. Um, and it's, yeah, it's a, it's a good place to be, but it's also like, well, what's the next thing. Like, what am I going to do next? Like, how am I going to use mm-hmm. my time to help people? Um, so it, it is, it is semi-charmed.
0: Do you, do you find yourself perhaps maybe thinking about visiting <laughs> other places?
2: Like traveling?
0: Yeah, Yeah. to to Europe or maybe the UK. Yeah. Where any any particular cities that you'd like to go to in the United Kingdom? Because I personally (laughs) I don't want to go to London, but um, Uh, I was just curious if you did. Um, I
2: don't want to go to London necessarily. I would like to go to Costa Rica before I fell in love with neuro and knew I was going to do the residency. I thought I was going to move to Costa Rica and work there for a few years, but I never did. I, I stayed with the States, um, mm-hmm. but I think that would <laughs> still be an adventure.
1: Jake is killing it with this. Uh, third blind reference case.
0: Um, <laughs> I, I'm just curious. Like you must, what's the craziest, like, um, patient case that you've had to deal with because mine, uh, I had this one guy, it was a gunshot wound in a motorcycle drive-by. Oh my God.
2: (sighs) Oh, um, that's hard to tell. I have a lot. Um, that that's, I had a guy who was sitting in his car Like, I don't even know, like after work or something, and then two other cars were chasing each other, and then one of them flipped over and landed on his car. Oh, my gosh. While he was just sitting in his car on the side of the street. Like, we have, yeah, that was probably pretty crazy.
1: Oh, my gosh. I can't even imagine just what that, oh, wow.
2: We have a lot of. A lot of, uh, <laughs> I think the big things are pedestrian versus car, gunshot wounds, drug overdoses, you know, usual things to get you into brain injury units. Hmm. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Yeah. Holy cow. Crazy stuff.
1: Yeah. All right. I think, oh, Jack. Do you ever, ever work with uh, anybody that has narcolepsy?
2: Um not in, uh, Are you just you're just going with this?
1: Yeah, he keeps rolling. Oh. Well, he keeps he keeps rolling. He's rolling through the whole self-titled album. Just... I
2: know. I know, I'm experience, experience,
1: and then I'm like, "All oh. right." Oh my gosh, Jake. That's all right.
0: That's that's all right. Mike. We can, we I we can get to the, the the final question here. I know you just want to graduate. <laughs> Um so let's go ahead and it would have
2: been relevant if I was in think... school so... <laughs> yeah.
1: Three, four. How many did you do? Five. I'm sorry, I'm counting
0: I'm counting how many I've gotten uh, so far. One, two, three, four, five. I think I've got six out of the fourteen.
1: Okay. Well, I'll add one to it. So thanks a lot for that one, Jake.
2: But all right,
1: Mike. Uh, how's
0: it going to be yeah, when we be ask bad. Carrie this last question here? Oh. Because I want you to ask it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm trying to remember what's left. Uh, good man is not on. No, I'm trying to remember. I can't it think be, of the ones. Mike, that are, it would, that are
0: it would be good. It would be good for you.
2: There you is. went ahead and asked
0: this last question because I know we're all kind of standing on a ledge, and we all want to be. I know we. You probably wish that we would all um, step back from that ledge. <laughs> I can't. I can't do it. <laughs> Man, Mike, you're, you're, you're you broke me. I carry I don't know if you can see him but he's so red and flushed right now one maybe would call him a burning man
1: this is the best thing ever. oh and by, by, by
0: by default we did kind of talk about the background because we did mention Shia LaBeouf in the the backdrop so I feel like that's kind of like even though we didn't directly use it in like a, a wordplay that was mentioned so I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and knock that off
1: okay okay in the background, yeah. So, did we get them all?
0: Um, no, there's only one more. Mm. <clears throat> um, Carrie, do you like wines?
2: I like, um, yeah, I do like wine.
0: Oh, Mike Mike has sometimes been called the god of wine.
2: Oh, because of yeah? his
0: extensive um, sommelier-like palate. <laughs> and... and I believe yeah, that is of all, all of them.
2: Of all things to be the god
1: The <laughs> god of This is true.
0: <laughs> all right, so that's the whole Third Eye Blind self-titled album from the year 1997. And, uh, Mike, yeah. I think we can go ahead and ask our final question.
1: Perfect. This is great. Well, good. Uh, that is... I can't believe that just happened. That makes me so happy. All right. Uh, so, Carrie, we always ask one question at the end of our show. So, we here at the mood Docs, we believe in always moving forward in all that we do. Uh, based on all of your previous experience in knowledge, in life, and love, the pursuit of happiness, what is one piece of advice that you'd give to anyone listening to this show to help them be the best versions of themselves?
2: I think... You need to figure out what your values are as a PT, and then always strive to to demonstrate those values, despite what you know other people do. You need to be, you know you need to be your own your own therapist, your own person, and really you know be the therapist that you want to be, <laughs> and the therapist that you want to see in the world.
1: Yes, <laughs> that's perfect. <laughs> I love that, and I think that's so important too. Because it's, I think it's really easy to kind of, uh, you know, like fall down to whatever level uh, you may be at. You know, if you're if you're surrounded by people that that maybe just don't care and are just kind of getting by, um, you know, it's important to kind of maintain, like you said, maintain those values and, and, and keep yourself true to your patients and, and, and keep working to provide the best care that you can.
2: Absolutely, and then right you will, in fact, be the therapist that you want to be.
0: <laughs> yes. you can finally live that semi-charmed kind of life.
2: Um, <laughs> I, 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 I do have one
0: more random question. Um, sure. Carrie, do you have any tattoos? Not yet. Hmm. If you were going to get a tattoo, what tattoo would you get?
2: Um, are you asking me my current sense or like 10 years ago or five years ago? Just, just curious. In general? And there's, a, there's a reason why I'm um, so asking, so. It. It's probably set up. So currently, I just had this conversation last week about getting a brain tattoo. Um, like an abstract brain. So it would be, um, not like an anatomical brain, but like each of the lobes would be like a different year or something. Um, I'm not sure if I'm going to do that, but that's one thought. Um, Or another idea would be getting like a little wave and sun.
0: Wait, wait, I'm sorry. Did you just say Tattoo of the Sun? Because, Carrie, I don't know if you know, but that's the Japanese exclusive bonus track, track number 15, off of the self-titled Third Eye Blind album. I had been waiting to set this up, but you, you just went ahead and dropped that title in there, so I... I just want to say thanks a lot.
2: You're welcome. <laughs> oh,
1: Carrie, <laughs> we can't thank you enough for taking the time to be on our show today. If anyone listening to this show wants to get in contact with you, what's the best way that they can do that?
2: Um, Probably by emailing me. Okay. I'll give you guys our personal email. So it's crgrantc at gmail.com.
1: Perfect. crgrantc at gmail.com. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks again for tuning in this week where we spoke with Dr. Kerry Gunn-Case. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or have a topic that you'd like us to discuss, shoot us an email at tmdmovementdocs at gmail.com. Thanks, and we'll see you next week.